0: All right, everybody, it is Tuesday, January 24th, 2023. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I am Moshe Wanunu.
1: Yeah, you are. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts.
0: And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, there's a lot of news happening out there already this week.
1: And let's get to some of those headlines now. Another mass shooting Monday afternoon in California, this time in Half Moon Bay, what we know, plus some new details on the weekend mass shooting in Monterey, California. We're gonna hear from the hero who wrestled the gun from the shooter and likely saved countless lives. A top former FBI counterintelligence official arrested for working with the enemy. The debate in Florida over the state's rejection of a black history course. The FDA is looking at a change in the COVID vaccine schedule. If it seems like pickup trucks in America keep getting larger and bulkier, you're right. We've got the latest numbers. M&M's latest announcement has some people up in arms. And Mosh has On This Day.
0: A tribute to one of our favorites, Neil Diamond, who celebrates a big, big day today.
1: Okay, let's start with yet another mass shooting in California, the second in the state in just three days. The sheriff's office says that at least seven people were shot to death on Monday afternoon in Half Moon Bay. That is a small city on the coast of California, south of San Francisco. It happened at two farms a couple of miles from each other. A suspect, 67-year-old Zhao Chun-li, was found in his car in the parking lot of a sheriff's office in Half Moon Bay. The sheriff's department says that he was taken into custody without incident and that the weapon was located in his vehicle. They add that there are currently no outstanding threats to the community. The motive, though, for the shooting is currently unknown. California Governor Gavin Newsom tweeting that this is a tragedy upon tragedy. He said that he was literally at the hospital meeting victims from Saturday's mass shooting when he was pulled away to be briefed about another shooting. Here is what we know about that shooting in Monterey Park, California. The death toll, now up to 11 people, nine others injured on the eve of Lunar New Year Saturday night. Officials say of the three victims continuing to be treated at the hospital, one remains in serious condition. The other two are recovering. The investigation is now focused on the gunman's prior interactions at two dance studios that he targeted and whether jealousy over a relationship was the motive, according to law enforcement sources. Sources tell the LA Times that the investigation is still in its early stages, but detectives believe that 72-year-old Hu Can Tran had frequented the two clubs, the one in Monterey Park and the second one in Alhambra. They believe the shooting may have been sparked by a personal dispute and that Tran was having unspecified emotional problems that had been getting worse in the weeks before the shooting. He showed up at a Southern California police department in Hemet, California, twice this month, making allegations of fraud and theft and saying that his family had tried to poison him in the L.A. area 10 to 20 years ago.
0: Jill, the head of the local Chinese Chamber of Commerce described the Star Ballroom dance studio as an institution in the community. He said the community has a massive WeChat group where everyone is messaging and a number of them uh, close to the situation believe the shooter's motive was personal. Uh, They believe the gunman was looking for a woman who had been invited to an event at the ballroom without him, which made him upset and may have precipitated all of this. Um, On another front, though, Jill, I was captivated by an interview on Monday with the 26-year-old hero who prevented deaths at the second location the shooter came to. So he had the first shooting. He then goes to Alhambra. And there's a confrontation uh, at this second dance hall. It's astonishing when you see the surveillance images. I have posted the video. Uh, which I believe NBC first obtained uh, there it's now on Instagram. And it shows the moment that a very, very brave, good Samaritan tackled the dance club shooter who can Tran grabbing the semi-automatic assault pistol, uh, grabbing his gun, even though he says he was certain he was about to die. Uh, The hero's name is Brandon say he's 26 years old. He challenged the 72 year old shooter as he burst into that second ballroom after he'd committed those murders in Monterey Park. Take a listen to how he described the confrontation to ABC News on Monday.
1: I needed to get the weapon away from him. I needed to take this weapon, disarm him, or else everybody would have died. Um, When when I got the courage, I, I lunged at him with both my hands, grabbed the weapon, and we had a struggle. We struggled into the lobby, trying to get this gun away from each other, He was hitting me across the face, bashing the back of my head. I I, I was trying to use my elbows to separate the gun away from him, creating some distance. Finally, at one point, I was able to pull the gun away from him, shove him aside, create some distance, point the gun at him, intimidate him, shot him and say, get the hell out of here. I'll shoot. Get away. Go!"
0: Jill, just so incredible uh, him taking it upon himself to challenge the shooter, uh, risking his own death. It sort of reminds me of the um, people aboard the fourth plane on 9-11 who fought off the hijackers before it could, they could crash it into the White House or the Capitol. That fourth plane, you know, basically like if I'm going to die, at least I'm going to go down fighting.
1: Mosh, absolutely incredible. Also, I thought it was interesting as part of a couple of interviews that he did, he mentioned that he'd never even seen a real gun in his life. Um, hmm. And he also talked about courage because obviously everyone's calling him a hero, a hero right now. And he said, courage is not the absence of fear. It's the ability to have adversity to fear when fearful events happen such as this. Such wise words um, and, and really accurate, right? It's not about not having any fear. It's like he, he thought he was going to die.
0: Just incredible courage, that instinct to act there and to challenge the shooter. It's actually pretty interesting. I guess people might have been distracted inside the ballroom. You know, he was fighting solo. That confrontation lasts for four minutes, Jill, back and forth, where they're going at it. Uh, You know, the, the shooter is trying to hit him with something to grab the gun back. And then you know, uh, Brandon, it literally then says, go, go away. I'm not, you know, uh, otherwise I'll shoot you. He doesn't take the moment, you know, he decides he's not going to kill that guy, but like try to um, end the situation uh, peacefully. And so just, it's it's very rare these ways uh, to be able to see that sort of thing.
1: Four minutes, I didn't realize that. Four minutes, it, try sitting in silence for four minutes and you'll see how long yeah. it is. Uh, that's incredible. Moshe, I also think right now there's just this overall exhaustion and and desperation right now that many Americans have when it comes to these mass shootings. Of course, the first thought that many people had here when they heard about what happened was that this may have been a hate crime targeting the Asian community. We've seen this uptick in violence against this community, especially since the pandemic. Um, It appears that that is not the case. But does that make it any better? Certainly not for the friends and the loved ones of these victims and for the community in general. And I think a lot of Americans, at least from comments that I've been reading on any articles or, or posts about this are just kind of speechless at this point. Um, And I wanted to read briefly from Dan Rather's newsletter on Substack. He sent it Monday morning, and I thought it was quite poignant and and really well-written. He writes, again, morning headlines of mourning, a night of violence and loss, a dawn that brings no comfort. Our national map of tragedy has a new place in which we stick a pin of pain We see once more what happens when instruments of mass death are untethered from any semblance of logical restrictions. As always, there are new names to learn of people who will never hear their names again. All that life snuffed out in an instant. The press will publish old pictures of smiling faces eulogized motives as if any will be justified or bring peace to the families now torn apart in bloodshed. We repeat and repeat and repeat these tragedies as if we are powerless to address them. But there are answers and ideas that go unheeded. Our politics don't allow progress. Mass shootings are part of our American identity. Meanwhile, a lesser volume of death simmers unremarkably below the surface. Lives cut short in tallies of one or two. Often the victims know the killers and often the violence is self-inflicted, a permanent end to mental anguish. Once again, we await more information. We also know that there will be another such story that will crest upon the headlines only to disappear, except for those who have no choice, but to live its consequences daily, again and again and again.
0: Really powerful words there, Jill, and it speaks to the predicament we have in this country. Uh, Mass shootings uh, continue to go up, and we've seen them trend up over the course of the past two decades here in the US though as Dan rather points out a majority of gun deaths uh, we should point out are suicide domestic violence day to day crime uh, not the mass shooting phenomenon but these mass shootings have really taken hold uh, and we've seen this correlation with uh, the number of uh, semiautomatic guns and assault rifles that have hit the market since the ban elapsed in 04 obviously the rise of social media uh, the mental health crisis we're having in this country uh, the idea of copycat stuff partially again based on social media And, you know, we're one of the only countries in the world where we have more guns than people, uh, some folks like to point out. But uh, either way, it it feels like it's become almost a daily story in nearly every state in the country.
1: Okay, Moj, moving on to another story, this one that feels like it is ripped from a season of Homeland or 24. A former top FBI official in New York has been arrested over his ties to a Russian oligarch, law enforcement sources tell ABC News. Charles McGonagall was the special agent in charge of counterintelligence in the FBI's New York field office until 2018. He is charged with crimes committed on behalf of the Russian billionaire Oleg Deripaska. He was sanctioned by the United States and criminally charged last year with violating those sanctions. McGonigal, meanwhile, is now charged with violating U.S. sanctions by trying to get Deripaska off the sanctions list. He's one of the highest ranking former FBI officials ever charged with a crime. He and a partner who worked for the FBI investigating oligarchs until a few years ago allegedly agreed to investigate a rival Russian oligarch in return for payments from Deripaska. The two men are accused of receiving payments through shell companies and forging signatures in order to keep it a secret that Deripaska was paying them.
0: Yeah, Jill, pretty remarkable here. This is one of the most senior FBI officials ever arrested for this sort of thing. You have a, in this case, a former FBI senior counterintelligence official who once investigated oligarchs, investigated Russian billionaires, tried to protect the country, effectively going to work for one, illegally trying to hide it, at least until this weekend. And so McGonagall, uh, now that, you know, he's gone to the dark side uh, and they've discovered it faces money laundering charges in addition to charges for violating sanctions. Uh, he faces potentially decades in prison. He was arrested over the weekend coming back from a trip abroad. It looks like he will never have a chance to leave the country ever again. And it does come as another case was revealed against him yesterday. This one from the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington, accusing McGonagall of receiving more than $200,000 in cash while he was still at the FBI from someone he knew was an employee of a foreign intelligence service. Apparently, back in 2017 and 2018, McGonigal concealed from the FBI his relationship from this unidentified foreign intel official, While traveling abroad with this person and meeting other foreign nationals, Uh, this person is described as an Albanian who was employed by a Chinese energy company. Either way, uh, pretty remarkable stuff from a very high former senior FBI official uh, and just fascinating because Deripaska is connected to a whole bunch of stuff, including Paul Manafort. Uh, Trump's former campaign manager from back in 2016 uh, in terms of violating sanctions and some crimes Manafort committed that eventually sent him to jail. So the web here, fascinating, as they continue to sort of uh, reveal more details in the coming days and weeks. Okay, everyone, let's take a quick break before we hit the speed read to tell you about the rest of the day's news and take a quick break to thank our sponsors this week. I want to start with Athletic Greens. I've been using their AG1 supplements since the fall. The Athletic Greens AG1 powder is just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It's easy, quick, and lets you get on with your day knowing that you've gotten a bunch of valuable vitamins. The uh, AG1 powder includes 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics that support digestion and gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs of the AG1 powder. You can visit athleticgreens.com slash News to take advantage of this offer. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S for this special deal to really start to take ownership of your health. Okay, I also feel like on this podcast we talk a lot about sleep studies and the importance of getting a good night's sleep and its impact on your health. Well, we have some great news for Mo News listeners on one thing that might help you. Bull and Branch Bedding and Sheets is extending their special deal for all Mo News listeners. They're offering you fifteen percent off plus free shipping for a limited time with the promo code Mo News M O N E W S. Bowl and branch sheets are made with 100% organic cotton. We spend a third of our lives in bed. Sheets are a big deal. Jill, as I told you yesterday, apparently President Clinton and President <laughs> Bush have both used bowl and Branch sheets, so a bipartisan endorsement. So again, the deal is this. For a limited time, get 15% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use the promo code MONEWS over at bullandbranch.com. that is B-O-L-L, a-N-D branch, bullandbranch.com, promo code MONEWS. All right, Mo, time now for the speed read
1: from Politico. Florida's rejection of Black history course stirs debate. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis reiterated his approval Monday of the state's rejection of a proposed Black History High School course. He said advanced placement African-American studies pushes a political agenda. DeSantis said his administration rejected the college board's AP African-American studies course because, quote, we want education, not indoctrination. The Florida Department of Ed recently told the College Board that it would bar the course unless changes are made. Dozens of AP courses have been taught at high schools for years, letting students learn college-level material for potential credit At a future university, Florida claims this new course promotes the idea that modern American society oppresses black people, other minorities and women, includes a chapter on black queer studies that the administration finds inappropriate and uses articles by critics of capitalism. The governor said the course violates legislation dubbed the Stop Woke Act that he signed last year, which bars instruction that defines people as oppressed or privileged based on their race.
0: So the college board here, after a decade of development, says it's testing the African-American studies course at 60 high schools nationwide that included at least one high school in Florida. No school or state would be required to offer it after its scheduled rollout, but it just offers these AP courses and then schools can pick them up. Uh, You know, I I remember in high school taking AP European history, AP U.S. history, uh, AP French. I took a few of them um, and they've gradually added more. <laughs> they've <laughs> added some I did well in, some not so much. Um, and they've added more and more over time. And so they're adding, they're looking to add this African American Studies course. But this comes as DeSantis has already banned certain textbooks uh, that he claimed teach uh, critical race theory. This happened uh, late. In the fall. And essentially, when he says this critical race theory, since it's a college level uh, topic, uh, is essentially shorthand uh, for any education or textbook that critics believe pushes the idea that there's any institutional or structural racism in American society. Uh, So DeSantis says that he doesn't want courses that push a political agenda from his perspective. Critics say, DeSantis, you yourself, uh, you're pushing a political agenda by rejecting this new course and trying to light up opposition on the right. Uh, For now, a coalition of Black faith leaders is pushing to meet with DeSantis over his decision to block students from taking the course until changes are made to the curriculum. They join a whole chorus of black state lawmakers who've denounced the move by the Florida Department of Ed. Uh, Tomorrow, a coalition of students, teachers, and lawmakers will be holding a rally at the Capitol in Tallahassee.
1: From Fox News, TV meteorologist Adam Klotz says that he was attacked by a group of teens on the New York subway. Klotz was on his way home Saturday night after watching the Giants-Eagles NFL playoff game at a Manhattan bar when he noticed a group of teens harassing an older gentleman, even setting his hair on fire with a joint. I was like, whoa, you can't do that. He said on Fox and Friends, that is not cool. And that is all it took. And then I was the focus of all of their attention. He said the group then started to taunt and attack him. And he tried to remove himself from the situation. But the attack did not stop there. The group followed him another subway car uh, and just kept attacking him. He said at one point, he was just on the ground and they were just beating him up. And he was like, all right, I, got, I guess I have to just take this at this point.
0: Yeah, he said he was trying to cover his head so he couldn't be knocked unconscious because that's what he was particularly worried about. He ended up heading to the hospital with a whole bunch of cuts and bruises. Uh, and so he's been at Fox News for a couple years now. And so he ended up doing his first interview with his colleagues over at Fox on Monday morning. Um, according to the NYPD, three of the teenagers that attacked him were taken into custody, they're ages 15 through 17, but then soon after they were released to their parents, the NYPD is saying that juvenile reports were prepared and their parents were called to pick them up. This has received a bunch of criticism from uh, folks who are like, they assaulted somebody on the subway and they got to go home to their parents that night. Uh, and so there are questions about the ramifications here. Jill, looking at the latest NYPD stats right now, year to date crimes in the city are down about 27%. But keep in mind, we're about three weeks into the new year, uh, and that was not the case in terms of crime down over the weekend on the subway. There were a number of incidents in addition to the attack on the uh, meteorologist. On Sunday night, a 70-year-old train dispatcher was attacked while on her break. She was hospitalized after being punched in the face over in Hudson Yards, over on Manhattan's west side. And then Friday night, there was an argument on the upper west side over on 96th Street, where uh, a man was pushed onto the subway tracks. Uh, Police were able to pull him out, but he died from his injuries. So a few scary incidents on the subway this weekend.
1: From CNN, the FDA wants to simplify the COVID-19 vaccine process so it looks a bit more like what happens with the flu vaccine, according to documents posted online on Monday. That could include streamlining the vaccine composition, immunization schedules and periodic updates of COVID-19 vaccines. The FDA says it expects to assess circulating strains of the virus at least annually and decide every June which strains to select for the fall season which is very similar to the process that they use to update the annual flu vaccine. Moving forward, the agency says they think most people may need only one dose of the latest COVID-19 shot to restore protection, regardless of how many shots that they have gotten before. Two doses may be needed for people who are very young and haven't been exposed who are elderly, or who have a weakened immune system. The FDA briefing docs do not say whether the annual shot would contain a single strain, two strains, or more. The annual flu vaccine immunizes against four strains.
0: So this proposal actually took some scientists by surprise on Monday, including a few of the FDA's own advisors. Incidentally, the advisors are scheduled to meet this Thursday to discuss the country's vaccine strategy, including which doses should be offered, what schedule, etc. Some advisors are being quoted as saying there is little research right now to support this suggested FDA plan. The feeling is that the FDA is trying to basically put out something that's practical as opposed to, again, according to some advisors supported by the science, uh, it comes at a time where less than 40% of Americans over the age of 65 have received the updated shot, and the percentage is even lower among the population under 65 as far as that uh, most recent booster shot. So there's a whole bunch of debates uh, that apparently will be had at this uh, meeting starting on Thursday. And you can expect in the coming weeks and months, uh, criticism of should we be using bivalent vaccines versus monovalent vaccines, as in should uh, vaccines be fighting one strain versus multiple strains? There's apparently debate there. Are they targeting the right part of COVID in terms of the spike protein or other parts that are constantly changing? And I was interested in this quote from Dr. Gregory Poland of the Mayo Clinic. He was interviewed over on CNN He is a former member of the FDA's expert advisory panel. He says that the first thing the FDA needs to do is outline what it expects annual vaccination to achieve. Incidentally, he studies how the body responds to vaccines. And so he says they're going to have to decide, the FDA will, uh, what the goal and use of the current vaccine is. If it's to prevent severe disease and death, we're already there. So that's his belief. So it's interesting, Jill, that we uh, are seeing this real debate now three years in as to what should happen now with the vaccine and debate, you know, you're, you're, you're fighting practicality versus the science, it feels like. Wait, so
1: is the argument from, from some doctors saying that they don't think we need an annual
0: update? He, he's saying that he wants to see what the science says, because there's a whole discussion about the T-cells, um, that while antibody levels drop within three months of a booster shot or a vaccine— the T-cells, the fighters that you create basically in your body, seem to be sticking around for longer, nine months or more, uh, and they're key to preventing you know, severe disease and death and severe outcomes that, you know, that would come with potential hospitalization. So it sounds like Poland and some other doctors uh, want to look at the data more long-term before coming up with this sort of, we're going to every June decide we're going to have this vaccine and look at these variants, et cetera, et cetera. So he wants to see more transparency from the FDA. On the boosters and the data there, uh, and again, he's a former member of this advisory panel. But you can imagine that some current members will, uh, you know, have some questions as well.
1: Because COVID doesn't necessarily act like the flu in terms of the seasonality of it. You know, the flu really picks up from what September to around March, primarily. COVID, we see spikes over the summer. Uh, so I understand where he's coming from.
0: Yeah. And by the way, it changes by region. It changes by, you know, like, you know, you you see a spike here, you see a spike there. And so it's going to be something really interesting to watch here, which is like, how do we address COVID going forward now that we're on sub-variant whatever of the Omicron variant and how do you deal with the fact that whenever you decide what variant to fight with the latest vaccine, that within weeks or months later, you might end up be, you might already be fighting a new variant. So how do you address that? How do you address the fact that, you know, um, the, the state of the variants in terms of what they're causing in terms of disease and death, uh, and what populations uh, should they be recommending this to? And so it seems like there's a lot uh, to be debated and discussed uh, within the medical community, starting at least on Thursday.
1: From the BBC, January 6th, Capitol Hill rioter who posed with his feet on Nancy Pelosi's desk during the attack on Congress has been found guilty of all charges. You might remember that image from the insurrection. Richard Barnett posing for cameras after breaking into Speaker Pelosi's office and boasted of swiping an envelope before leaving. He was armed with a stun gun and could have harmed Pelosi, according to officials. A jury in Washington deliberated for less than three hours before convicting Barnett of all eight charges against him. His crimes include obstruction of an official proceeding, entering and remaining in a restricted building or grounds with a deadly weapon, and theft of government property. The trial has been one of the most high profile to stem from January 6th. More than 940 people have been charged with federal crimes related to the breach, and nearly 500 have pleaded guilty so far.
0: Yeah, prosecutors argued that Barnett came to Washington from his home in Arkansas over a 1,000 miles away prepared for violence. Barnett is a former firefighter. He chose to actually testify in his own defense during the trial, which has led to some questions as to whether that helped or, in fact, in this case, Hurt him. He argued that he was caught up in the moment and was, quote, just going with the flow on January 6th. He said repeatedly in court last week that he regretted what transpired at the Capitol that day, but did not believe what he did at the Capitol was illegal. Quote, I made some bad mistakes. I feel like an effing idiot, he said in court during his testimony. He told Capitol police, apparently, as they were trying to get him out of Pelosi's office on January 6th, that uh, they were a bunch of commies. Uh, and threatened violence against them if they picked the wrong side again in court last week, said he regretted those words and actions, and said he would apologize to Nancy Pelosi if she were in court. TBD on how long he may serve in prison jail. His sentencing is on May 3rd.
1: Also interesting, he's 62 years old, which means he was 60 years old, approximately, give or take, during the insurrection. I'm not, I don't know why that surprised me a little bit. I just was expect, I guess like you expect that the the people protesting are going to be a little bit younger, you know, and especially well, all, the picture of him with his feet up on the desk. It just felt like immature to me a little bit.
0: Well, uh, also his defense that he was quote, caught up in the moment and going with the flow. You can understand that if it's like a 14-year-old, maybe a 24-year-old, but a six-year-old who's like, dude, I was just going with the flow and totally caught up in the moment. And you're like, you're old enough to be a grandparent. Um, either way, clearly the jury felt similarly because <laughs> they convicted him on all eight charges in about uh, three hours of deliberation.
1: From Axios, most your favorite story of the day, how pickup trucks Woo-hoo! became so imposing. Axios had an interesting deep dive Monday on the Ford F-150 which has been the best-selling vehicle in the U.S. for more than 40 years. During that time, the pickups had become bigger and bulkier. In the 1980s, about half of pickup trucks were categorized as small or midsize, but by the 2010s, small pickups had nearly vanished as Americans increasingly bought into the big truck lifestyle. As pickups transitioned from workhorses to lifestyle vehicles, their design shifted accordingly, cabs expanded to accommodate more passengers. While beds shrank, the first generation of F-150s was 36% cab and 64% bed by length. And by 2021, the ratio completely flipped. Moshe, I know this is of a, a personal interest to you. Didn't you drive an F-150 in high school?
0: Yes, the 1994 F-150 Maroon. It was extremely large. Jill, it had two gas tanks. <laughs> And a closed cabin in the back, though, I should say my dad was a cabinet maker. And so he admitted to me in later years, he's like, yeah, I got it to you so I could keep tabs on you and I could control you by having you deliver furniture to our customers, haul um, materials back to my shop. Smart man. (laughs) Very smart man. Uh, And also learning how to parallel park a 20 foot (laughs) F-150. If you can do that, you can do any of them.
1: Did you have to take your road test in the (laughs) F-150? (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, thank, th- thankfully, I took it in a much smaller vehicle. I think they—I think at the time the DMV was like putting you in a smaller vehicle. I definitely did not use a, a large car for that. I either way, uh, that's what I had, and then I moved to Washington and New York, and for years never had a car. Um, but have fond memories of of my F one fifty. It's interesting, Jill, because there's survey data from the Vehicle Research Firm Strategic Vision, which shows that a third. Of today's pickup owners, rarely or never use their truck for any hauling, while two-thirds rarely or never use it for towing. So right now, you get an F-150 in many parts of the U.S. uh, as part of self-image, as part of its cachet, its cool, its hip. And so they've made the cabins much larger, you know, much more comfy or much more luxurious because the back of the pickup truck, which was his initial utility, isn't as useful anymore.
1: It's so funny that we're doing this story today because I was actually driving today and I had to go a pretty long distance on the highway and the weather was pretty bad. It was raining and and kind of turning to snow. And there were so many pickup trucks that were just whizzing by me. I was like two hands on the wheel, um, not really going above 55, 60 miles per hour. And I I thought to myself, should I get a pickup truck? I mean, they seem (laughs) to be really handling this This weather well. And then I even thought, you know, pickup truck versus mom SUV, which is what I have, and pickup Mm -hmm. truck wins, you know? And, And I just... I don't know. Part of me actually thought about getting one. And then I thought, I can't get a pickup truck. I never would use it in terms of using the back of it to, to actually transport. Well, it It sounds
0: like it's not important anymore, Jill. Clearly <laughs> the back that way. Right. Um, it's interesting, Jill, because they keep getting bigger. Uh, put up a chart last week on Instagram of the most popular car in Europe, which is a Golf Peugeot 208. Uh, versus the American, uh, the, the number one seller in American Canada, which is the Ford F 150. And the Ford F 150 could eat three of those Peugeots in terms of size. Um, but it's that size that actually um, has some officials concerned uh, and linking um, the American fascination with SUVs and the pickup truck to the rising number of pedestrian deaths here in the US. So while pedestrian deaths are down in most of the world, uh, they are continue to go up here in America. Drivers of today's trucks now sit much higher than they used to, and it's so high it's effectively created a blind spot here where small children or people in wheelchairs are hidden from view. Uh, pickup weights have increased by 32% over the course of the last 30 years, meaning when they do strike pedestrians, they strike with much more force, and the tall front of the truck means that they're striking pedestrians in the torso as opposed to lower cars are striking people in the legs, which is what has led part Partially to this increase in pedestrian deaths. Ford and other manufacturers of pickup trucks say they're increasing safety features um, right now, but that is the um, downside in case you thought that uh, this segment was sponsored by pickup trucks.
1: <laughs> but we're not against it. If you, anybody is, if any pickup truck maker is against let it, we're just, uh,
0: we're just telling you drive safe, drive safe, and uh, look both ways.
1: From NBC News, Maya Rudolph replaces Eminem's spokes candies indefinitely amid woke furor. After its mascot refresh controversy last year, Eminem's announced Monday that it is taking an indefinite pause from using its candy coated mascots, saying that the last thing M&M's wanted was to be polarizing. Eminem said in a tweet that it is instead tapping actor Maya Rudolph as its spokesperson, someone the brand said America can agree on. Rudolph said she is thrilled to represent the brand in a Super Bowl ad next month. Here is some more of the M&M statements. Quote, in the last year, we've made some changes to our beloved spokes candies. We weren't sure if anyone would notice, and we definitely didn't think it would break the Internet. But now we get it. Even a candy's shoes can be polarizing, which was the last thing M&M's wanted since we're all about bringing people together.
0: Only in America, Jill, where (laughs) M&Ms are now controversial. Uh, But let's back up here. What controversy are we talking about? You might remember this. Around this time last year, uh, several of the animated candies underwent a massive redesign. Miss Green, the green M&M, basically uh, she had her high-heeled boots replaced with sneakers And then the brown M&M, they essentially changed her stiletto heels to more sensible lower heels. That prompted some criticism from, among others, Tucker Carlson over on Fox News, who declared the candies less sexy and too woke, saying, and I need to repeat this because this was pretty remarkable, M&Ms will not be satisfied until every last cartoon character is deeply unappealing and totally androgynous. Until the moment, you wouldn't want to have a drink with any of them. That's the goal. Uh, Clearly, Tucker being partially... Uh, kidding here, maybe partially serious, either way. Um, this latest announcement that the candies are going away due to the shoe controversy uh and being replaced with Maya Rudolph uh had a lot of people talking on Monday. Jill.
1: Mosh, it is all so insane, but I think that uh the person who had written you on on Instagram said it the best. He's from Canada, and in response to your story, he was just like, Is America okay? And I think the answer is <laughs> no, right? We're not. <laughs> no,
0: we're not okay. I don't know if it's the Eminem story or any of the previous stories we told you about in this podcast or a previous podcast that would give you this sense. But no, America is not okay right now. Um, keep in mind, by the way, that Eminem does have the Super Bowl ad coming up with My Rudolph. So this certainly has created some buzz. And that certainly is a goal of any brand. So clearly they're playing into this, um, triggering some folks. Um, And so we'll see if this is all part of some larger rollout they have planned here. And we're just playing into it. But congratulations, Eminem, for getting your earned media coverage today. Um, We'll see if these spokes candies with their more sensible shoes, uh, now that the stiletto heels have been ditched. uh, We'll be back anytime soon. All right, Joe, that brings us to On This Day in History, January 24th. Let's start with a couple birthdays. Singer Neil Diamond turns 82 today. And he would tell you that good times never seem so good. So So good. good. So So good. good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Also turning 82 today, another music legend, Aaron Neville, formerly of the Neville Brothers, also 82. You might remember him from uh, his award-winning song uh, from years ago, I Don't Know Much but I know I love you. You might've heard it on, you know, those like classic smooth rock stations.
1: And right? that may be, you know what? I used to listen obsessively to Delilah. If you live on Long Island, I don't know mm. if she was a national person. I think
0: she eventually went national at some point. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and what was it? was like love songs at night with Delilah. And yeah. I, I loved it. And so, yes, Moshe, I know all of these people.
0: Uh, <laughs> Aaron Neville, Neil Diamond, keeping things calm and putting you to bed on a Sunday night. Uh, Also, a birthday today for comedian Ed Helms. He's 49. You might remember from The Office, uh, from Hangover, from a variety of places. So happy birthday to him. Then a couple of historical items. 88 years ago today, January 24th, 1935, the first canned beer was introduced in the U.S. by the Kruger Brewing Company.
1: I feel like I want to play a burp sound effect. (laughs)
0: jill we have a soundboard here we record this uh podcast on a program called riverside and we have sound effects and we haven't quite figured out how to play them ourselves i'm looking i feel like
1: (laughs) i don't see burp
0: (laughs) waiting waiting all right we'll work on a burp one for the next beverage that's all i got (laughs) lovely okay (laughs) um 48 years ago today staying with food and beverage the first mcdonald's drive through opened up in sierra vista arizona january 24th 1975 on this day 39 years ago 1984 the macintosh computer happy 39th birthday to macintosh computer the first price of the first macintosh $2,500 and on this day in 1995 wow i can't believe we're almost 30 years i guess 28 years removed from the oj simpson trial today live coverage began of the O.J. Simpson trial. The trial would last nine months, beginning January 24th, 1995.
1: In some ways, that trial made um, CNN.
0: Made CNN, made Judge Ito, made uh, cameras in the courtroom, is probably one of the reasons we will never see cameras in the Supreme Court and in federal courts, uh, You know, turning lawyers into celebs. It made Court TV what it is today. Speaking um, of the F-150,
1: it made the Ford Bronco.
0: The, the iconic Ford Bronco, which they brought back recently. Like, I mean, all these iconic things, the Bruno Mali shoes, the bloody glove. If, it, if, uh, if, the, fit, if the glove doesn't fit, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Johnny Cochran, uh, remember uh, re- reporter Greta Van Susteren really, you know, went to the next stage with that. So uh, really remarkable. I mean, it was almost a year, almost the entirety of 1995, we were captivated. And it was live television on every network every day for nine months.
1: I remember when I was in high school, they played The the Verdict live in the cafeteria.
0: I remember being on the soccer field of my junior high as somebody had a Walkman and listened to The Verdict. (laughs) Those were the days.
1: Mosh, there aren't that many events and things that happen that everyone can remember exactly where they were. Uh, And that Mm -hmm. is one of them, the the verdict being read. Um, But on that note, we do have to wrap this up. A big thank you to everybody listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow.
0: And don't forget to follow us over on Instagram, uh, over on the Mo News Instagram account, at Mosh, at M-O-S-H-E-H, where it all got started. And we will see everyone back here tomorrow.
1: Bye.